excited and privileged to be asked to speak today. Um, this is such an honor uh, for Pastor. And uh, they've been honoring you this whole service. And uh, guess what? It's going to continue. So, <laughs> uh, And I think you, you deserve that, you know, 25 years uh, of being here. And help me get it right. How long have you been in ministry, Pastor? 1975, 44 years in ministry. Uh, that is incredible. And it is uh, incredibly difficult sometimes, especially for that long period of time, to stay the course. Um, so if uh, I've heard you talk a little bit about how you used to bike and you used to run and do marathons and stuff, right? We got to get you back on that. See, I'm just now starting. I'm just now starting that. And so I'm kind of a rookie in, in the biking community. I've done a couple rides. Last weekend I did a ride 30 miles. If, you know, you're supposed to do 100. Okay, it's what you're supposed to do. I did 30. That was good enough. Um, but the way they do it is you start off, you're all together, you start on the course, and they got these arrows that, that tell you when to turn, basically. You're going through Tuscaloosa or whatever, and they tell you turn here. You keep going for a while, turn here, whatever. Well, when people's in front of you, you really don't have to look because you just follow the people ahead of you. So I did the 30-mile ride, and it goes 15 miles one way, and then you stop, you take a break, and then you come back 15 miles the same way. Uh, that's how that one does. The other ones, they do different, uh, the, the different miles. But anyways, we're coming back. It's me and my dad are riding together, and on the way up there again, we just followed people. On the way back, we weren't following anybody. We were just, you know, riding, and we had to follow the arrows. And um, this woman comes up beside us. And uh, she's driving, she's pedaling pretty fast. She's like, man, I don't know where I'm going. And we're like, I, I yelled at her. I said, well, you're on the right track. <laughs> uh, and my dad, my dad yells at her and says, uh, if you hit Birmingham, turn around. <laughs> and we were just laughing it off. And uh, she keeps going. Well, anyways, me and my dad are just sitting there talking, bringing up memories. And uh, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a spot that does not look familiar. <laughs> we're like, I think we missed a turn. <laughs> so we have to go back, have to try and look. These little arrows on the ground, this just says, this is the arrow says HH, Hot 100. And so we're, we're looking, we're like, finally find it, get back on course. So we're riding a little bit longer, talking, not paying attention. Guess what happens again? <laughs> we get lost again in Tuscaloosa. And uh, we like, have to go back, find the course. We finally make it back after a couple hours. And uh, we see the lady there at the, at the finish line. And she said, man, I can't believe y'all didn't help me know where to go. We were like, we got lost twice. <laughs> but it just reminded me that when you're on a long journey, 44 years, it can be easy to get off course. And we see that, don't we see that in this social media age, and this news age, where we see a pastor that gets in a scandal, you know, either you know, committing adultery or uh, stealing money from the church or even... Uh, giving up their faith altogether. But over these last 44 years and over these last 25 years here, we know that our pastor is a pastor who stays the course, is a man of integrity, and somebody to learn from, and somebody that we can all get behind. And so I'm thankful that we don't have to worry about you going off and like, you know, burning the church, you know, to the ground with, you know, stealing all the money or whatever. We know that we can trust you and get behind you. And so I'm so thankful for a pastor like that. I want to read a couple scriptures before I get into the message uh, to just highlight pastors a little bit. This is one that, that they uh, tell us at ordination, and even a uh, pastor did for me this one. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, 
Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Does that not describe our pastor? He's, he preaches the word. He does it uh, the right way. Uh, he does it with pa- He patiently corrects us. Um, appreciate that. <laughs> I work for him, so I'm appreciate that. <laughs> Patient with me. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, there are gifts uh, Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Uh, when somebody asks uh, your professor, if they ever asked you, what's the job of a pastor? You had to respond, equip the saints. <laughs> That's the answer. What's the job of a pastor? To equip the saints. And I, I look around and I see people ready. People uh, walking in their calling, walking in their ministry because you've been equipped. And so I'm thankful for a pastor who follows the word, what Paul is preaching to the church for a pastor to do is to equip the saints. Let's pray this morning. Would you pray with me over the word? Lord, we are so thankful to be here in your house this morning. God, I thank you that that we can come here and it is so, so uh, of you to honor those who deserve honor. And so, Lord, we come here with an honor, a high honor for our pastor. And, Lord, I pray that he would feel that way. And, Lord, I'm thankful for all the years and everything that you've done uh, through his life and ministry. And, Lord, let it be a testament to your goodness and to your grace, to your love. Lord, help us all to be more like you. Speak to us today through your word. Let it change us. Your word is truth. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, let us receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... As I was, uh, I was asked to speak a couple weeks ago, and, <laughs> you know, I don't know what you do. Like, as a pastor, th- this is what we think. I'm just going to let you in on this. So you're thinking about, okay, God, give me a word. <laughs> give me a word. What do I speak on? This is a big moment. And then you're sitting there looking at this book, like, man, this is a big book. <laughs> That's a lot to go through. <laughs> you're trying to, like, read, and it's like, where do I, do I start in the Old Testament? Do I start in the New Testament? Do I read the Gospels? Do I read Paul? Do I read prophets? And it can be overwhelming, honestly, trying to find, God, what are you trying to say to us? Um, But as I began to pray, I got directed to this passage. I was like, man, I feel like this is is, is perfect in line with, with what we need to share today. And so I've titled today's message, All in a Day's Work. All in a day's work. I'm going to be reading, if you want to turn with me, to Matthew chapter 14. I'll be reading out there the whole morning. So uh, in this chapter, there are three prominent stories I'm sure every single person in this room has probably heard at some point in your life. Many of you could probably come up here and tell me exactly what happens in these stories. But what I think is uh, really unique and cool about this chapter is that all three of these stories happen within a 24-hour period. And I think that it gives us a snapshot of what it means to live the life of a pastor. And we can see that in the life of Jesus. So I'll tell you this, all in a day's work. To start with, we'll start with Matthew uh, 14. Let me, let me just catch you up before I start reading. Uh, in this chapter, there's a guy named Herod. He's a leader back then, uh, just a, a little short of a king. And he uh, is having a birthday party. And again, this is in the time of Jesus. And uh, he, 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 of course, at their parties, they're drinking, they're having fun, they're having a good time. So at this point, he's had a few, to say the least. Uh, his niece comes before him and starts dancing. 
Well, he's like, you know, at the party, his uh, niece is dancing, and I guess she's dancing so well that, she, that Herod says, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And so she comes up to him, prompted by her mom, and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And he's like, oh. It says that he was reluctant. Like, he did not want to behead John the Baptist. But because the people were there, they heard his oath to his niece, he had to do it. And so what happens is he kills John the Baptist in prison, beheads him. And that's where we're going to pick up right there on verse 12. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 12 says this, And his disciples came back and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from town to town. So the first, uh, the first thing I want to share from Matthew chapter 14 is talking about a day that starts with tragedy. A day of tragedy. In ministry, you're going to deal with tragedy. You're going to deal with things that are not pleasant. Uh, if you've been in ministry any more than just a couple of weeks, there's going to be some hard times. And there can be some very low, low points. Certain things, I mean, it just, it really grips you and pulls you in. Can you, do you understand that in this story, Jesus had to hear about his cousin and what I would probably, you know, I wasn't there, but I would, I would think they were probably pretty good friends, uh, maybe even best friends. And so to hear about this, Jesus, you know, he limited himself to be human. So, you, I mean, you understand that if you've been through a hard time, you know what Jesus is going through. And so uh, here he is dealing with tragedy. I know that we can kind of sometimes maybe, Pastor Lynn's good at making ministry look awesome. <laughs> like, you know, he's one of them guys that you, you would never know that things were going wrong or, or maybe that he's just been dealing with stuff. But I can tell you, ministry and being a pastor is much more than getting up on a Sunday morning and speaking a message. You deal with death, heartbreak. Sometimes people that's been in your church fall away from the faith. You may deal with divorce, prodigal children, and even criticism. They, they, people may criticize the worship songs, your sermon topics, uh, the carpet color. I mean, there's all kind of things you deal with. And one of those things is tragedy. But a good pastor will share the burden of their congregation. And you know what? I think with our pastor, he wouldn't have it any other way. To be there in times of need. Over the last 25 years, I'm looking around. And I... I I know some of the stories already just being here in the couple years I've been here. But I know that if we gave our opportunity, so many people could share about times when Pastor was there in a tough time. A couple that come to mind are, I remember last year, you were on your hunting trip, <laughs> uh, South Carolina, I believe. And Pastor goes all the way up there, several hours away. And then in the middle of his vacation, has to leave, go all the way down to Jackson, Alabama, and preach a funeral. And then... To somebody that hasn't been in this congregation for over 25 years, you know, and then he comes all the way back to South Carolina. I'm like, you made that drive to do a funeral? Somebody's not even in your church now? Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, would I do that? <laughs> you know, but that's the pastor's heart, you know, to share the burden, to be there in the tough times. This last 4th of July, you know, we're all, it's a holiday. But he gets the phone call that the Burdine family 
you know, needs him. Hallie fell in a pool. He drops everything. He's there. Share the burden. Be there a tragedy. I've, I've, I wasn't here, but, uh, you know, I hear stories about him walking through with the Cottle family and their loss. You know, I've never had something like that happen to me, but I've seen my parents go through it. And I know the, the hurt and the amount of time it takes and what, you ha- what was required of you to walk through somebody with that. But our pastor was there, and he continues to be there. And that is a heart of compassion. In our story, Jesus had just heard about John the Baptist, his cousin, dying. And all he, I'm sure that all he wanted to do was be alone. But it's in that moment that we're going to find out here uh, in verse 14, he has compassion. This is also, number two, a day of compassion. Would you pick up with me in verse 14? It says that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compa- Jesus had compassion for, the se- the, uh, for his sheep. You see, life moves on. Even in the lowest moment, life continues to go. And Jesus had to push past what he was feeling. And he saw the crowd, and it says the very first thing, he stepped off the boat and he healed their sick. Like he could have said, no, go away, like get away. This is not the time. But no, he took the time. He takes it a step further, even beyond healing their sick. And uh, this this story kind of trips me out. And so I'm going to comment a little bit on here. But Matthew 14, uh, go to uh, verse 15. Let's read it. It says this, now, when it was evening, again, same day, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said this, there's a desolate, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy, and, and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said this, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I don't know how he said that. <laughs> But uh, I can imagine, you know, how he's feeling about all this. Again, hearing, being over there, uh, healing the sick. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, these people are hungry. Send them away. And he's like, nah, you give them something to eat. (laughs) Verse 17, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, a couple of things I want to highlight about this story kind of trips me out a little bit. I'll tell you why. First of all, Jesus is performing all these miracles. Everything's going well. And his disciples are like, they're concerned about people being hungry. And like, man... Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, but we ain't got enough money to feed this crowd. The crowd says it was 5,000 men, not including women and children. That's probably 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. And Jesus instructs them to give them something to eat. Well, the disciples, I don't know if this was like sarcastic or not, because like maybe they were mad. Maybe they were like, hey, Jesus, we got five loaves and two fish. And I looked that up. A loaf was like a dinner roll back then. It wasn't like a loaf. It was like we got, five, we got a Happy Meal, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to feed 10,000, 15,000 people. And Jesus looks at his disciples, you know, tell them to get something to eat, but he says, all right, give it here. He blesses them. He blesses the food, 
and the disciples began to hand it out. Where did the miracle happen? In the disciples. They were handing it out, and people were, they're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> hey, we're feeding, like, they're like trying to run out of food, but they can't. Like, they are continuing to hand it out, and people were getting fed and fed and fed, and as a matter of fact, it says there's 12 basketfuls left over. I guess that's one takeout for every disciple, you know? Like, I mean, it was just a, a crazy moment. But in this moment, I think it brought Jesus joy. Why? Because the disciples, he, something began to click inside their mind, and they got it. It's like they were in doubt. Like, God, how is this going to happen? Send them away. But Jesus is like, no, you feed them. What do you mean? Well, here you go. Pass this out. They're passing it out. And it's like, oh, God wanted to do, Jesus wanted to do a miracle here. Maybe we should trust him more. And I believe that when Jesus, you know, as close as he was to the disciples, when he sees them, like, begin to get it, like, when Peter's like, yeah, you are the Christ, I believe that, like, pride, like, proud moment begins to swell up inside of him. Uh, I love being a father. Got two girls. Matter of fact, this is Jamie's birthday, so you can say happy birthday to her. She's four years old. But there's so many proud dad moments I have. I'm like, when she cleans her room, especially without being asked, which is rare, but sometimes it happens. <laughs> She may clean her room, and I'm like, oh, that's just, she gets it. Or she learns her ABCs or learns something at school, um, rides her bike. You know, she's still in training wheels, but, you know, riding her bike, or maybe even when she gets her training wheels off for the first time, those are proud moments because, like, it's like your kids are learning. And, and oh, this is another proud dad moment. Sorry. Let me think about this. But the other day, um, actually, Pastor gave us a card in the mail, and it had a dollar in it for her birthday. And we give it to, to Jamie. She opens it. She's like, I got a dollar. And the, the next thing she says is, where's my buddy barrel? <laughs> she, I mean, I know she doesn't understand so much about money like we do. But her very first thing is to give. And even this morning, she was opening presents. She's like, sissy can play with this. You know, and I'm like, it, it just, there's a proud moment. I can see Jesus being the same way with, with my other daughter, Gigi. <laughs> she got some learning to do. <laughs> The proud moments may come few and far between. Uh, but no, it's so, even at one and a half years old, like, she, she'll throw stuff in the sink when she's done with it. Uh, she'll throw stuff in the trash. She'll wipe, you give her a wipe, she'll wipe down. And even yesterday, you, you don't even know about this, but yesterday I was doing dishes and she was coming and she was trying to hand them to me, but she was like, she wouldn't hand them to me. She was just throwing them in the drawer, <laughs> like all the, all the um, utensils and stuff. She's like, I want to help. But I want to do it my way, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, it's just so amazing when they get it. So as a pastor, there's so many moments of joy as a pastor. When you, when you are discipling somebody, when, when they're in your small group or, or, and you see them grow in Christ, what a, what a moment. What a moment when you see in the church relationships building and people fellowshipping together and doing going to activities and, and, and being part of the body of Christ. When you see a healthy marriage, you know, flourish. When you see uh, people being sent out, the Jessalyn Durans going and, and being missionaries or uh, people s stepping up in the call of ministry, you know, on the worship team or serving in the Sunday school or in the nursery or wherever you are called, you see it as a pastor and you get joy. Because you see God at work and people begin to get it, the call that they have. So it was a day of tragedy. It was a day of compassion. But it was also a day of priority. And so imagine this. 
they just fed this large crowd. And this is what happens next. Let's pick up in verse 22. It says this. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Finally alone. Finally. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, which, if you don't know that language, that's between three in the morning and six in the morning. So I'm guessing he was still up. (laughs) Uh, Three and six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. I don't know how he said that. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And as it goes on, you know the story. Peter, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out there. And he does. He walks on water. Then he doubts. Then he sinks. Then Jesus is there again, picks him up, takes him back to the boat. But what I see in this story is Jesus uh, had a day of priority. Because number one, he got alone with God. What's our very first and most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so he gets by himself. He did ministry. He had compassion. But he had, he had to get in the presence of God. He had to get alone. That was number one. I'm thankful for a pastor that knows how to get alone. If you don't know this, he's here every Sunday night to pray faithfully. Well, he's a pastor of church. Yeah, he is. But he's still here. And beyond that, he, he's a man of prayer. He's a lifestyle of prayer. That's what Jesus showed us to do. But secondly, he's a, the day of priority goes because Jesus uh, made his family priority. When I say his family, I mean the disciples. They were, I would consider them family. I mean, they were the big 12. They were with him everywhere he went. Everything he did, the disciples were there. And he is on a mountain. He's by himself. He's praying. And he looks out, and he sees the disciples in distress. Like, there's a storm going on, and he's like, I got to get to them. So he goes down the mountain. He's walking on the water, and he gets out to them. He said, hey, I'm here. Take courage. I know you're going through a hard time. I know life is trouble. I know there's all these circumstances going around. The storm's trying to to flip your ship around and, and drown all you or whatever. But hey, I am here. Take courage. You are a priority to me. Whenever I was in college, they made sure to instill this in my mind. Family first. It's God, then your ministry to your family, then the church ministry. That's the order. And we see that with our pastors. Miss Brenda is uh, the biggest support. You know, she's, she's with them everywhere. I, I love what y'all were saying about Miss Brenda and Pastor, but, you know, Miss Brenda, you know, she's willing to do anything. She's there. She's involved. She cares. And I know that um, it's important to have that in ministry. I look at my wife, who's a great wife, mom, youth pastor's wife, uh, so much. And I'm like, man, what would I do if I didn't have somebody, like, lying to me when I did a horrible message? (laughs) You know, I get up here, I'm like, how'd it go? And she's like, oh, you did awesome. I'm like, really? Really? Kids running around the stage everywhere, flipping tables. No. Uh, Y'all don't know what goes on in the youth room. Uh, (laughs) No, but 
It's so important to have family first. And I can say this. Our pastor will keep the main things the main things. He will keep his family first. He has throughout the years. And you have to. You have to over 44 years of ministry or else it will, and we've seen it, it will rip your family apart. And so I'm thankful for their priorities. And the worship team can join me. Prayer is not a suggestion for pastor uh, and Miss Brenda. I love this couple. But they live a lifestyle after the Lord. As I was going through this, um, through this chapter, I was like, man, I cannot believe that all of these, because like when, when you read the Bible, sometimes you get, you don't always think about the time period. Like how long did it take to go from here to here? Or um, how, how much distance was it from one chapter to the next or even from one verse to the next? But I'm like, Jesus went through all this in a 24-hour period. Now, there's obviously a lot more that goes into being a pastor. But I was like, this is really a lot of the main things that, that, that a pastor goes through in his time. And not just a pastor, most people. But as a pastor, I'm thankful that when tragedy happens, when the, when the tough times occur and they're in front of us, I'm thankful that he's, he's, he's willing to drop everything and go. I'm thankful that we can share in the joys as a church, as a church body, that uh, when somebody accepts Christ, we celebrate that. When somebody uh, is going on a mission trip or have, when we have a church outreach, when we're doing a baby dedication or a wedding ceremony or we have these, these small group hangouts or we, maybe we start a Bible quiz team, these are the joys, seeing God's people equipping the saints for their work in ministry. There's no greater joy than a pastor than to be able to see, you know, the people in your, in your congregation, in your flock, walk out the will of God in their life. And I'm also thankful to be able to, especially for me, to be able to learn about priorities, about what it means to live a spirit-empowered life. Because you can, you can live a good life and you can live a life for the Lord, but that doesn't mean you always walk by the Spirit. But I'm thankful for an anointing pastor that you, that you have and we uh, and, and you walk and listen to the Holy Spirit, and for that, I just want to say we appreciate you, and we do. Maybe 25 years later, we could take that picture, <laughs> put it up, and say, "Miss Brenda, you still hadn't aged a bit." <laughs> Pastor, I'm sorry, you didn't have the jeans. <laughs> no. But to to end the service this morning, I do want to do this. Would you just bow your heads with me all around this room? I think the most important heart of Jesus and for a good pastor is a heart for people to know the Lord. Number one, to live a life for Him. And then number two, to grow in that walk with Him. But if you're hearing the sound of my voice this morning, and you say, you know what? Uh, my life is not a life lived after Jesus. I have not totally surrendered my life to Him. Let me tell you something. You can make the very best decision that you've ever made in your life 
And that is the decision to give up your life and give it to Jesus. Because let me tell you something. There's nothing like, your life will completely, from that moment forward, you begin to live your life for him. And it, the Bible says you will be a new creature, a new creation in him. And the old self, the old sinful self will begin to pass away. And your new self, your new life began to take root in your life. So if you're here this morning, you say, uh, that's me. I would like to, uh, to, to, to live my life for Jesus. I would like to give my life to him. Can I just see your hand so I can know who I'm praying for? Amen. Is there anybody else? Would you look up and stand with me? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you the opportunity this morning. Before, we got plenty of time. I made sure of that. And we'll be eating here in just a minute. But the most important thing I think we can do is take some time and worship. And if you raise your hand, I want you to meet me down here at this altar. Because we want to pray for you. So if that's you, and it was several, would you, would you come down here as a step of faith? Not to embarrass you. We're not going to embarrass anybody. We're going to celebrate with you. Because, hey, this is why we're here. This is, you know, this is what Jesus wants in his heart, is for us uh, to accept him. And so as we go into the song of worship, and if some of y'all want to pray, we're going to pray for y'all. And uh, if there's anybody else that wants to join them in that call, please come now. Amen.